Section 21 of Library of the World's Best Mystery and Detective Stories, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Library of the World's Best Mystery and Detective Stories, Volume 5, by Julian Hawthorne, Editor. Section 21 Knights of Industry, by Vsevolod Vladimirovich Krestovsky, Part Six. Sixteen, Gold Dust. Both Kolosh and Kavrov were too cautious to take an immediate personal part in the gold dust sale. There was a certain underling, Mister Eskrasevich by name, at Sergey Kavrov's beck and call, a shady person, rather dirty in aspect and who was, therefore, only admitted to Sergei's presence by the back door and through the kitchen, and even then only at times, when there were no outsiders present. Mr. Eskrasevich was a person of general utility, and was especially good at all kinds of conjuring tricks. Watches, snuff-boxes, cigar-cases, silver spoons, and even heavy bronze paperweights acquired the property— of suddenly vanishing from under his hands, and of suddenly reappearing in a quite unexpected quarter. This valuable gift had been acquired by Mr. Eskrasevich in his early years, when he used to wander among the Polish fairs, swallowing burning flax for the delectation of the public, and disgorging endless yards of ribbon and paper. Mr. Eskrasevich was a precious and invaluable person, also, owing to his capacity of assuming any role, turning himself into any given character, and taking on the corresponding tone, manners, and appearance, and he was, further, a pretty fair actor. He it was who was chosen to play the part of the Siberian employee. Not more than forty-eight hours had passed since the previous conversation. Prince Shidorsky was just up, when his footman announced to him not a Mr. Valyajnikov wished to see him. The prince put on his dressing-gown and went into the drawing-room, where the tolerably presentable, but strangely dressed person, of Mr. Eskrosevich, presented itself to him. "'Permit me to have the honour of introducing myself,' he began bowing to Prince Shadursky. "'I am Ivanovich Valyajnikov. Mr. Sergei Antonovich Kovrov, was so good as to inform me of a certain intention of yours about the dust. So if your excellency has not changed your mind, I am ready to sell it to you with pleasure. "'Very good of you,' answered Prince Shadursky, smiling gaily and giving him a chair. "'To lose no time over trifles,' continued Mr. Eskrosevich, "'let me invite you to my quarters. I am staying at a hotel. You can see the goods there.' You can make tests, and, if you are satisfied, I shall be very happy to oblige your excellency. Prince Shudersky immediately finished dressing, ordered his carriage, and went off with the suppositious Valyajnikov. They drove to a shabby hotel, and went to a dingy room. This is my poor abode. I am only here on the wing, so to speak. I humbly request you to be seated. Mr. Eskrosevich said obsequiously. Not to lose precious time, perhaps your excellency would like to look at my wares. Here they are. 
and I am most willing to show them. And he dragged from under the bed a big trunk, in which were five canvas bags of various sizes, packed full and tied tightly. Here, here it is. This is our Siberian dust, he said, smiling and bowing, indicating the trunk with a wave of his hand, as if introducing it to Prince Shadursky. Would not your excellency be so good as to choose one of these bags to make a test? It will be much better if you see yourself that the business is above board, with no swindle about it. Choose whichever you wish. Shadursky lifted one of the bags from the trunk, and when Mr. Eskrosevich untied it, before the young prince's eyes appeared a mass of metallic grains, at which he gazed, not without inward pleasure. "'How are you going to make a test?' he asked. "'We have no blowpipes nor test-tubes here.' "'Make your mind easy, Your Excellency. We shall find everything we require. Blowpipes and test-tubes and nitric acid, and even a decimal-weighing machine. In our business we arrange matters in such a way that we need not disturb outsiders. Only charcoal we haven't got, but we can easily send for some.' and going to the door he gave the servant in the passage an order, and a few minutes later the latter returned with a dish of charcoal. First class! Now everything is ready!' cried Mr. Eskrosevich, rubbing his hands. And for greater security he turned the key in the door. "'Take whichever piece of charcoal you please, Your Excellency. But, not to soil your hands, you had better let me take it myself, and you'll sprinkle some of the dust on it.' and he humbled himself before the prince. "'Forgive me for asking you to do it all yourself, since it is not from any lack of politeness on my part, but simply in order that your excellency should be fully convinced that there is no deception.' Saying this, he got his implements ready, and lit the lamp. The blowpipe came into action. Volyajnikov made the experiment, and Shadursky attentively followed every movement. The charcoal glowed white-hot, the dust ran together and disappeared, and in its place, when the charcoal had cooled a little, and the amateur chemist presented it to Prince Shadursky, the prince saw a little ball of gold lying in a crevice of the charcoal, such as might easily have formed under the heat of the blowpipe. Take the globule, Your Excellency, and place it, for greater security, in your pocket-book, said Eskrosevich. You may even wrap it up in a bit of paper— and keep the sack of gold dust for yourself, so that there can be no mistake. Shadursky gladly followed this last piece of advice. And now, Your Excellency, I should like you kindly to select another bag. We shall make two or three more tests, in the same way. The prince consented to this also. Eskrosevich handed him a new piece of charcoal to sprinkle dust on, and once more brought the blowpipe into operation and again the brass filings disappeared, and in the crevice appeared a new globule of gold. Well, perhaps these two tests will be sufficient. What is Your Excellency good enough to think on that score? asked the supposed Valyajnikov. What is the need of further tests? The matter is clear enough, assented the prince. If it is satisfactory, we shall proceed to make it even more satisfactory. Here we have a touchstone, and here we have some nitric acid. Try the globules on the touchstone physically, and, so to speak, with the nitric acid chemically, 
and if you wish to make even more certain, this is what we shall do. What quantity of gold does your excellency wish to take? The more the better. I am ready to buy all these bags. Very much obliged to you, your excellency, as this will suit me admirably, said Eskrosovitch, bowing low. And so, if your excellency is ready, then I humbly beg you to take each bag, examine it, and seal it with your excellency's own seal. Then let us take one of the globules and go to one of the best jewellers in St. Petersburg. Let him tell us the value of the gold, and in this way the business will be exact. There will be no room for complaint on either side, since everything will be fair and above board. The prince was charmed with the honesty and frankness of Mr. Valyajnikov. They went together to one of the best-known jewellers, who, in their presence, made a test and announced that the gold was chemically pure, without any alloy, and therefore of the highest value. On their return to the hotel, Mr. Eskrosovich weighed the bags, which turned out to weigh forty-eight pounds. Allowing three pounds for the weight of the bags, this left forty-five pounds of pure gold. "'How much a pound do you want?' Shadursky asked him. "'A pretty low price, Your Excellency,' answered the Siberian, with a shrug of his shoulders. "'As I am selling from extreme necessity,' because I have to leave for Siberia. I've spent too much time and money in St. Petersburg already, and if I cannot sell my wares, I shall not be able to go at all. I assume that the government price is known to your excellency, but I am willing to take two hundred roubles a pound. I can't take a kopeck less, and even so, I am making a reduction of nearly a hundred roubles the pound. All right, assented Shadursky. That will amount to— he went on, knitting his brows. Forty-five pounds, at two hundred roubles a pound. It will make exactly nine thousand, Your Excellency. Just exactly nine. Eskrosovitch obsequiously helped him out. The prince, cutting the matter short, immediately gave him a check, and, taking the trunk with the coveted bags, drove with the Siberian employee to his father's house, where the elder prince Shadursky at his son's pressing demand, though very unwillingly, exchanged the check for nine thousand roubles in bills, for which even Ivanovitch Valyajnikov forthwith gave a receipt. The prince was delighted with his purchase, and did not utter a syllable about it to anyone except Kovrov. Sergei Antonovitch gave him a friendly counsel, not to waste any time, but to go abroad at once, as, according to the Exchange Gazette, Gold was at that moment very high, so that he had an admirable opportunity to get rid of his wares on very favourable terms. The prince, in fact, without wasting time, got his travelling passport, concealed his purchase with the utmost care, and set out for the frontier, announcing that he was on his way to his mother, whose health imperatively demanded his presence. The success of the whole business depended on the fact that brass filings, which bear a strong external resemblance to gold dust, are dissipated in the strong heat of the blowpipe. The charcoal was prepared beforehand, a slight hollow being cut in it with a penknife, in the bottom of which is placed a globule of pure gold, the top of which is just below the level of the charcoal, and the hollow is filled up with a powdered charcoal mixed with a little beeswax. 
the chemist, who makes the experiments, must make himself familiar with the distinctive appearance of the charcoal, so as to pick it out from among several pieces, and must remember exactly where the crevice is. On this first occasion, Eskrosevich had prepared all four pieces of charcoal, which were brought by the servant in the passage. He chose as his temporary abode a hotel whose proprietor was an old ally of his, and the servant was also a confederate. Thus was founded the famous Gold Products Company, which is still in very successful operation, and is constantly widening its sphere of activity. 17. THE DELUGE Count Kalash finally decided on his course of action. It was too late to seek justice for his sister, but not too late for a tardy reparation. The gang had prospered greatly, and the share of Baroness von Doring and Budlevsky already amounted to a very large figure. Count Kalash determined to demand for his sister a sum equal to that of the securities, in her name, which Natasha had stolen, calculating that this would be enough to maintain his sister in peace and comfort to the end of her days. His own life was too stormy, too full of risks, for him to allow his sister's fate to depend on his, so he had decided to settle her in some quiet nook, where, free from danger, she might dream away her few remaining years. To his surprise, Baroness von Doring flatly refused to be put under contribution. "'Your demand is outrageous,' she said. "'I am not going to be the victim of any such plot.' "'Very well. I will compel you to unmask.' "'To unmask? What do you mean, Count? You forget yourself.' "'Well, then, I shall try to make you remember me.' And Kalash turned his back on her, and strode from the room. A moment later, she heard the door close loudly behind him. The baroness had already told Budlevsky of her meeting with Princess Anna, and she now hurried to him for counsel. They agreed that their present position, with Kalash's threats hanging over their heads, was intolerable. But what was to be done? Budlevsky paced up and down the room, biting his lips, and seeking some decisive plan. "'We must act in such a way,' he said, coming to a stand before the baroness, "'as to get rid of this fellow once for all. I think he is dangerous, and it never does any harm to take proper precautions. Get the money ready, Natasha. We must give it to him.' "'What? Give him the money?' And the baroness threw up her hands. "'Will that get us out of his power?' Can we feel secure? It will only last till something new happens. At the first occasion, which will also be the last, interrupted Budlevsky. Suppose we do give him the money today. Does that mean we give it for good? Not at all. It will be back in my pocket tomorrow. Let us think it out properly. And he gave her a friendly pat on the shoulder, and sat down in an easy chair in front of her. The result of their deliberations was a little note addressed to Count Kalash. Dear Count, it ran, I was guilty of an act of folly towards you today. I am ashamed of it, and wish to make amends as soon as possible. We have always been good friends, so let us forget our little difference, the more so that an alliance is much more advantageous to us both than a quarrel. 
come this evening to receive the money you spoke of, and to clasp in amity the hand of your devoted friend, Von D. Kalash came about ten o'clock in the evening, and received from Bodlevsky the sum of fifty thousand roubles in notes. The baroness was very amiable, and persuaded him to have some tea. There was not a suggestion of future difficulties, and everything seemed to promise perfect harmony for the future. Bodlevsky talked over plans of future undertakings, and told him, with evident satisfaction, that they had just heard of the arrest of the young Prince Shadursky in Paris, for attempting to defraud a bank by a pretended sale of gold dust. Count Kalash was also gay, and a certain satisfaction filled his mind at the thought of his sister's security, as he felt the heavy packet of notes in his pocket. He smoked his cigar with evident satisfaction, sipping the fragrant tea from time to time. The conversation was gay and animated, and for some reason or other turned to the subject of clubs. "'Ah, yes,' interposed Bodlevsky. "'A propos. I expect to be a member of the Yacht Club this summer.' Let me recommend to you a new field of action. They will disport themselves on the green water, and we on the green cloth. By the way, I forgot to speak of it. I bought a boat the other day, a mere rowboat. It was on the Fontalka Canal, at the Semyonovsky Bridge. We must come for a row some day. Delightful! exclaimed the Baroness. But why some day? Why not tonight? The moon is beautiful, and indeed, it is hardly dark at midnight. Your speaking of boats has filled me with a sudden desire to go rowing. What do you say, dear Count? And she turned amiably to Kalash. Count Kalash at once assented, considering the Baroness's idea an admirable one, and they were soon on their way toward the Semyonovsky Bridge. How delightful it is! cried the Baroness, some half-hour later, as they were gliding over the quiet water. "'Count, do you like strong sensations?' she asked suddenly. "'I am fond of strong sensations of every kind,' he replied, taking up her challenge. "'Well, I am going to offer you a little sensation, though it always greatly affects me. Everything is just right for it, and I am in the humour, too.' "'What is it to be?' asked Count Kalash indifferently. "'You will see in a moment.' Do you know that there are underground canals in St. Petersburg? In St. Petersburg? asked Kalash in astonishment. Yes, in St. Petersburg. A whole series of underground rivers, wide enough for a boat to pass through. I have rowed along them several times. Does not that offer a new sensation, something quite unlike St. Petersburg? Yes, it is certainly novel, answered Count Kalash, now interested. Where are they? Pray show them to me. There is one a few yards off. Shall we enter? You are not afraid, she said with a smile of challenge. By no means, unless you command me to be afraid. Kalash replied in the same tone. Let us enter at once. Casimir, turn under the arch! And the boat cut across the canal toward a half-circle of darkness. A moment more, and the darkness engulfed them completely. They were somewhere under the Admiralty, not far from St. Isaac's Cathedral. Away ahead of them was a tiny half-circle of light, where the canal joined the swiftly flowing Neva. 
carriages rumbled like distant thunder above their heads. "'Deuce take it! It is really rather fine!' cried the Count with evident pleasure. "'A meeting of pirates is all we need to make it perfect. It is a pity that we cannot see where we are.' "'Light a match. Have you any?' said the Baroness. "'I have, and wax matches, too.' The Count took out a match and lit it, and the underground stream was lit by a faint ruddy glow. The channel, covered by a semicircular arch, was just wide enough for one boat to pass through, with oars out. The black water flowed silently in a sluggish, stygian stream. Bats, startled by the light, fluttered in their faces, and then disappeared in the darkness. As the boat glided on, the match burned out in Count Kalash's fingers. He threw it into the water and opened his matchbox to take another. At the same moment, he felt a sharp blow on the head, followed by a second, and he sank senseless into the bottom of the boat. "'Where is the money?' cried Budlevsky, who had struck him with the handle of the oar. "'Get his coat open!' And the Baroness deftly drew the thick packet from the breast pocket of his coat. "'Here it is! I have it!' she replied quickly. "'Now overboard with him! Keep the body steady!' A dull splash, and then silence. "'Tonight we shall sleep secure.' They counted without their host. Princess Anna had also her scheme of vengeance, and had worked it out, without a word to her brother. When Natasha and Budlevsky entered their apartment, they found the police in possession, and a few minutes later both were under arrest. Abundant evidence of fraud and forgery was found in their dwelling, and the vast Siberian solitudes avenged the death of their last victim. End of section 21 Recording by Katie Riley January 2011